and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have Rob Onkin with me. He is part of our learning and development team and has been in the L&D space for 16 years. He has a wide range of experience, including training facilitation, instructional design, and design leadership. You know, here at Paylocity, Rob has this awesome responsibility of leading creative learning design strategy and collaborating with other professionals, really to create compelling learning experiences across um, all internal and external audiences. So Rob, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with me. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we've spent months now talking about how the pandemic has accelerated digital transformation in organizations. And one area that we haven't really talked about yet is the impact that this has had on learning and development initiatives. So I thought we could start there. And I'd love to hear your perspective on what changes you've seen in that space. Yeah, this in and of itself is a pretty hefty topic, and we could probably devote an entire podcast uh, to a discussion just around this, uh, because to say that the last year has been a wild and crazy ride is something of an understatement. So first, I just want to stop and pause and tip my hat to all HR and L&D professionals and compatriots out there. Thank you for all you've done and all that you continue to do to support our organizations and our employees. I see you, I appreciate you, and I thank you for everything that you do. But to answer the question, I would say that I would look uh, through a couple different lenses, um, first kind of through the lens of technology, and then through the impacts to our people and to our organizations that we support. So prior to the pandemic, we had a lot of emerging and steadily moving trends kind of moving us towards that digital transformation in the learning space. You know, virtual learning, e-learning, and video were pretty well established at that point and pretty widely used. Uh, but newer trends like M-learning, micro-learning, adaptive learning, and AR-VR will, were still pretty much emerging. Um, a lot of learning and development organizations were just beginning to consider or even em- implement these new methodologies, but the movement towards digital adoption was somewhat slow because supporting these types of learning method- methods like often involves a significant investment and not just an investment of dollars or monetarily, but also in the terms of the sheer effort involved in designing a learning ecosystem uh, that's really required to support them. So making sure that you have the right technologies in place, upskilling your L&D team, managing the, managing the organizational change. For a lot of HR or L&D teams of one, there are just too many conflicting priorities to really transform their learning and like drive to adopt that. Um, so I was looking at an ATD state of the industry report at uh, for 2019. And at that time, just over 50% of formal training hours that were being delivered were being delivered via classroom. And another 11% were being done via virtual instructor-led training um, with only 20% being self-paced and online. Then the pandemic hits 
And virtually overnight, a significant portion of our employee populations were suddenly working remotely or having to work differently. And so for many of us meant that we had to completely transform our classroom training into virtual training, e-learning, videos, and other digital solutions that our employees could consume from anywhere. So that in and of itself represents a huge change. But that's really just kind of the tip of the iceberg because it really has this ripple or compound effect that dovetails into so many other things. Because so many of our employees had never really used virtual meeting tools or collaboration tools like Community or Teams or Slack or their work processes that they had done in the office were now completely transformed so that it could be done online or virtually as they were working from home. So not only did we have to completely transform our existing learning programs, we had to create new programs and learnings to support and train our organizations in this new digital work from home world um, and, and those technologies and processes. So for many of our employees, also working from home wasn't an option. So many of our employees had to be trained on new um, processes and safety protocols as they worked through the pandemic. So there was a need to quickly create trainings and programs for the safety of our workers as well in those various spaces, but we're not done yet. So not only are our employees having to deal with the stress of the pandemic and working from home, but now we're also looking at dealing with the stress related to world events that are happening, political turmoil, social justice and racism, racism were really at the forefront of a lot of conversations last year. So for us in L&D and HR, that meant a renewed focus on DE&I topics like social justice, equality, inclusion, unconscious bias, navigating difficult conversations, health and wellness, stress management, and all of the support and training programs and just benefit programs that needed to be in place to really help shape and drive a work culture that is inclusive, diverse, and equitable for all of our employees. Now, as we start to see uh, the first signs or glimmer, uh, glimmers of coming out of the pandemic, a lot of L&D departments are still in the process of converting a lot of their materials to virtual and digital mediums. So I've been talking to a lot of my colleagues and they are still at this point in the process, even a year later, just due to the volume of work and the shifts in priorities uh, that have happened over the past year, they're still in that process of converting their materials. Also add to that, like a lot of HR and L&D teams are looking at their existing programs through a new critical lens. So, and through that DE&I lens, if I have scenarios in my training, what does that look like if I focus on it to make sure that I don't have any biases that have been built into my training, even inadvertently? Uh, what kind of stories am I telling about equality? Like who are, who's in my scenarios? Like, are they racially diverse? Am I perpetuating racial stereotypes with my scenarios that are in my training? So there's a new lens that we're examining our content through. And then finally, there's also more and more recognition about the fact that we need to be ready for disruption. The pandemic isn't just this one-time event because it's really now transformed the way that we think about being more prepared, uh, being more adaptable, um, agile. And, and really when we talk about digital transformation, part of that is too, uh, the ability to fail forward. Uh, and this often involves having to upskill employees, 
create new programs aimed at helping our employees to become more agile and even just resilient to disruption and the rapid pace of change. Rob, we definitely could spend hours talking about all the things that you just mentioned. Um, but I really want to hone in on video learning. I think this is, a you know, video learning itself, one of the huge reasons that things like YouTube are such a great resource for learning professionals. Why do you think video is such an important tool that, you know, those listening really need to start to adopt and understand? I think the simplest answer is that video makes training material easier for people to consume content, remember what they've learned, and it's flexible enough to be part of virtually any training methodology or strategy. So first, let's start uh, with video just really engages our senses and emotions in a way that other learning mediums just can't. Time over time, study after study, we now know that video is more than just engage, it's just more engaging than simple images and text. Um, when I was working with our team to put together uh, the video premium adoption kit, where we're really kind of outlining the benefits and how our premium video product works, I made a joke that if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a video is worth 10,000. Um, but I actually did a little digging on this and Forrester actually did some research and they calculated that one minute of video is actually worth 1.8 million words. Just let that sink in for a moment. 1.8 million words in terms of learning effectiveness. Many of us have probably heard the statistics around how much of our communication is nonverbal. And, you know, we typically estimate that between 70 to 90% of our communication is based on things like tone, facial expression, posture, hand gestures. As we record this uh, podcast, I'm gesticulating wildly as I talk. Um, when we record ourselves with video, all of those components are captured and help to convey so much more information in such a short amount of time. And really, another big reason why video is so powerful is that learners can break down really complex tasks really, really easily. I mean, think about how we now learn to do most of the things that we learn. We can hop on YouTube. We can watch step-by-step -step instructions. You can watch it as many times as you need to. Fast forward, rewind, pause. You know, these types of show me videos can range on virtually any topic from software demonstrations to retiling your bathroom. I mean, I've learned so much uh, using video as a tool um, and studies continuously prove that because it engages so many of our sensory channels that we retain so much more of that information after the learning event is over and for longer periods of time. Really the cool thing that we're starting to see emerge too is how video technology is rapidly evolving to become more and more interactive. You know, I think there's still kind of this idea that a video is just something that you watch and you can't engage with. Perhaps there's some emotional level of involvement, but now learners can engage with video uh, in new ways with everything from hotspots to quiz questions and other interactions that have historically only been kind of in the purview of a more traditional e-learning and built into video itself. So video is quickly becoming the format of choice for all types of learning programs because it's so flexible. You know, we recently did work on revamping our own new employee orientation program, and we had to be ready to deliver this both in a virtual and or a classroom setting and or both. And so we've used video throughout because it's really flex. It's got that flexibility that you can use it in a classroom session. You can use it in flipped classroom uh, training prepared uh, paradigms. 
social learning, uh, and more. You've already definitely talked about all the benefits from a learner's perspective. Um, and, and you were right a hundred percent about, you know, video conveying emotion. I can't tell you, I cannot watch soldiers coming home videos without crying. Doesn't matter where I'm at, what I'm doing. It just hits me in the feels. And, um, our unconscious bias training actually has a really, really good, robust video in it. Again, hits you in the feels and, and it's unforgettable. And that's such uh, an amazing tool as you've gone down this road with video learning you know, there are statistics that support the ROI of it beyond that 1.8 million words that you, sh- you shared. How have you seen the impact of video learning on business goals? Yeah, we've been using video in one form or another pretty much since I started here at Paylocity, which was many, many moons ago now. Um, but I would say that it's really only been in the last two to three years that we've really transitioned from having videos kind of sprinkled throughout our various training programs to using it really in virtually everything that we create now, Um, from communications to the new employee orientation that I mentioned, professional development, performance management, peer-to-peer learning, um, performance support tools. Videos have even made it into our knowledge base articles that we use here. Um, We really use video heavily throughout our learning solutions and having video embedded in our own software platform has definitely helped to drive more of a video-based learning culture here at Paylocity. But in terms of the impacts um, on our business goals, um, it really ranges from really large impacts to small but mighty impacts because we use it virtually every day. So in terms of some of the larger impacts to the organization, about two years ago, we completely overhauled our anti-harassment training program. We transitioned from what I would call a more traditional uh, complex e-learning, which was a mix of images and text on screen with some clickable interactions to a completely video and scenario-based training. And our goal was not just to redo this revamp it, make it video-based, but to have it be something that was so much more than just a check-the-box activity. We really wanted this to be a program that had an impact on the culture here at Paylocity. So in addition uh, to participant feedback and survey data, we actually looked at the year-over-year changes in our Great Places to Work survey data and the questions that were related to things like workplace safety and inclusions. And we were able to see an improvement um, not only in that great places to work survey, but in knowledge and employee sentiment. Last year, we also had a team that was dedicated to revamping what we refer to as our on-demand training, um, which really showcases our product training content. It's kind of the bread and butter of what we did. Again, we shifted away from large and bulky and long e-learning courses to a video-based micro-learning content. And we we realized a lot of significant benefits from taking both a video and micro-learning approach. Uh, Because the content was broken down into smaller segments, it meant that it could be reused in multiple spaces. So instead of trying to serve just one audience, we could serve multiple audiences with the same content because it could be woven into so many of our existing learning programs. We also saw a reduction in cycle time because what we had created were these bulky and complex e-learnings. Video is so easy to deploy and it works on virtually any device without having to design multiple scenarios where this is what it looks like on desktop. This is what it looks like on tablet. This is what it looks like on your phone. It is automatically almost universally 
uh, able to be played on any device, accessed anywhere. Um, and we didn't have to do a lot of complex uh, user acceptance testing to make sure that everything worked as expected across different platforms. You know, we have as part of our product offering what we call premium video. You know, if you're listening and you're not a Paylocity client, you know, Rob, what tools should they look at to get started going down this road of video learning if they haven't done it before? I think there's this myth or this linger idea, lingering idea in learning and development that says in order to make a video, you need a lot of expensive equipment and you need a lot of technical savvy. You need an entire multimedia team to create really good content. But I find that that's just so often not the case. I mean, again, looking, but looking back at the way that most of us use YouTube or TikTok in our personal lives or at work already, you know, we're usually scanning for the content that's most relevant and not for the content that has the most production value. So with that in mind, I almost always recommend that you start with the tools that you already have on hand. I mean, so many of us now take it for granted that we have webcams and cell phones and don't realize that we already have the tools at our disposal to start making video content. For both Mac and PC users, uh, free tools are typically part of the standard installation. Both offer differing level of video recording and editing capabilities, but are more than sophisticated enough to start creating content with a lot of value. Um, there's also a, a range of really inexpensive accessories, such as tripods and microphones uh, that you can get like for around 20 to $30, which will really help you to achieve some really great results with just a tiny investment. Um, within the L&D space, virtually uh, every e-learning development tool also has some form of video editing capabilities. So a lot of the tools that we're already using, such as Articulate Storyline, Adobe Captivate, they have ed uh, video editing capabilities built in there as well. Once you've gotten a few videos under your belt and are using some of these tools and want to move to the next level, I typically recommend looking at some tools, maybe like Animoto, which is a web-based service tool, or Camtasia, which has some more advanced editing tools, but remains easy to use and is still relatively inexpensive. Obviously, we've made the case for video learning. I think it's super important. I think it's got a great ROI. I think the barrier to entry is actually really low. Um, you mentioned TikTok. I think about Instagram lives, you know, all of that kind of stuff is stuff you can tap into. Um, as, as you think about, you know, somebody listening to this and they're just going to dip their toe in it, what topics should they start thinking about tackling first? I always recommend to start with something that you know or a topic um, that you're familiar with or something that you're just passionate about. Those are the types of videos that are going to feel the most authentic or natural and potentially provide the most value to the people that are going to consume the content. And, you know, if you really are nervous about being that person that's recording the video or making the content, tap into your coworkers or other people that have a lot of knowledge on a particular topic that you would feel would make great early adopters into driving and increasing, you know, the video content that you have. Um, here at Paylocity, we actually launched a program called PCTY's Got Talent. And it was a campaign to find people that were excited to be part of 
our video programs. And that ranged from being in our compliance training videos to unconscious bias, to doing voiceover work, um, or even record videos of them just sharing their knowledge on various topics that we could share together internally and really capture some of that institutional knowledge that exists here at Paylocity and so that others can easily access it and watch it at their leisure. So last question, let's say you don't have that team of people to tap into. You're going to be the person who has to record. What are your tips for, um, I guess it's stage fright, video fright, camera fight. How do you get over that? I don't know if there's a psychological term that describes (laughs) exactly what that is. Some kind of phobia. Um, I get asked this question a lot. And of course, I was uh, part of the rollout of premium video across our own organization. And so we had a lot of people that, you know, brought to me kind of similar concerns. And so the first tip that I usually give is a little bit unconventional, perhaps, but um, it kind of relates to the practice of mindfulness. So first, realize that any feelings of anxiety that you might have about being on camera or recording your voice are totally normal. Nearly everyone feels this way, even today when so many of us are spending so much of our time in video-based meetings with our camera on, it feels so different once you sit down with a video camera or a microphone to record your message. So start by taking some time to do just a little informal mindfulness practice to acknowledge and kind of examine the source of your emotions. And I have to say that even just after a few minutes, you're so much more likely to be able to apply and manage your emotions effectively. Um, I used to do this before I even really knew what mindfulness was. Like I would just sit down, I I would just do a little self-reflection and then I would start to psych myself up. Okay, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And it really just is an invaluable tool to help getting started. I I think what most of us fear is sending out a video recording of ourselves and we're concerned what other people are going to think about it. So my second tip is really to start creating videos and recording yourself and don't send it. So then you really have no fear of anyone watching it. Spend some time sitting down, talking to the camera, talking about things like your day or talking about your favorite hobby, maybe once or twice a week. Just make a short, simple video that allows you to practice with no fear of being critiqued. And then don't just delete those videos. You can look back at them and you can kind of get a sense of what you're doing right and perhaps what opportunities you have to do better once you're ready to make your first official recording. When you're ready to start doing your on-camera recordings and if you really feel like you aren't getting the hang of it or too concerned about what to do with your hands or how to position your body, et cetera, maybe start by doing a screen recording with voiceover. So perhaps you're making a how-to video or you're recording a presentation uh, through a PowerPoint. These types of videos can help to increase your confidence and your tech skills and might help to alleviate a little of that fear or awkwardness about speaking into the camera. If you've got all your equipment set up, again, I would take about 10 to 15 minutes to really get comfortable, review your materials, and even start recording a few takes that you know that you aren't going to send won't be your final cut. This really kind of lets you get into it. You do a couple flub takes beforehand. So it just helps to prepare you so that you're really ready. I also recommend having a script, but have bullet points. Don't have it written word for word because reading from a script can be somewhat of an art form. And for some of us, when we read from a script, it can sound a little mechanical. 
And if we're reading from bullet points and we have filler words, it just sounds more natural, authentic, and engaging. We're kind of speaking off the cuff. So my last tip is uh, really kind of, again, shameless plug to check out our video premium adoption kit. Even if you're not using premium video, it's full of tips and ideas about the types of videos to start creating, as well as videos about video. I know that sounds super meta, but we have like videos about you know, lighting, setting up your camera, eyeline, et cetera. So go ahead and check it out. I love all of these tips, especially the just start recording yourself talking about hobbies. I never even considered that. Um, but yeah, it's like it's like going back to speech class. And when you had to get mm-hmm. recorded um, back on VHS and that I might have just really dated myself by mentioning VHS. But um, but Rod, this was great. I think it's such an important topic. I think, you know, as learning and development continues to evolve and we see different things like AI and virtual environments continue to change and have an impact. This is a space that I'm excited to see in the HR industry and see what's going to happen. So I'm sure I will have you back on the podcast at some point. So thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.